Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering a range of conversations from our coverage during the International Letter Congress 2022 and from this week's Surfing Nash wrap-up episode. This conversation comes from episode 32. It starts with comments from Zobair, Yanossi, and me on how much collaboration appears to have improved in fatty liver disease over the past few years and goes on to discuss the importance of fatigue in fatty liver patients. Fatigue has several different kinds of impact. It drives lower quality of life scores, predicts higher long-term mortality, and leads to higher rates of both unemployment and, among those with jobs, presenteeism. As a result, it becomes a pivotal focus for research, as we say, and also for tracking because it will have a lot to do with the economics of the disease. ILC 2022 covered a vast array of issues around drug development, non-invasive testing and patient screening and treatment, and the entire process of provider-patient communications. On each topic, there were conversations that can enlighten every fatty liver stakeholder and promise a more optimistic future for us all. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Jörn Schattenberg. Something we haven't discussed yet, and I, I'll hate to mention this and step away and hear, not being able to hear what Zubair says about it. In my discussions at different levels, I felt that the quality of life aspect of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease for patients is something we have to continue to look at because as long as we're studying surrogates and we're not quite there yet to look at outcome studies defined by you know overall mortality or liver events, although we're seeing some more in the compensated cirrhosis studies being set up, uh, until that, the quality of life aspect and the improvement of quality of life for a single patient, I think, is something very valuable that, as a clinician, we also need to respect. And I think it's important for the programs we're seeing. Michelle, thoughts? Michelle Long. I agree. And I also think one thing that I've been struck by was just sort of the eagerness of people to meet together and to form collaborations. Everyone is interested that I've talked to, but what are you doing? What's going on? How can we work together? How can we move the field forward um, with our various resources. So that's just been really strong, the strongest sentiment that I've felt. And maybe it's just because we've been away from each other, but I think people are very eager to, to work together to solve these problems. I think that's part of it. An observation that Stephen had a couple of weeks ago on podcast is to some degree, people had to come together because the old way wasn't working and we weren't making a lot of progress on some of the questions that were stymieing everybody independently. And typically that, a lot of these, what he was talking about was drug development, but typically when that happens in pharma, people stay in their silos, they never share their data, and everybody makes the same mistakes over and over again. Here, what's been special are things like Litmus and Nimble and Goldmine and Nail IT, that a sharing of data to converge around the really big issues that no one company can get out on their own. I think that just sets a whole different time for everything, personally. And Michelle, if you have to jump, jump. Do you have any news you want to share on the way out the door, by the way? Yes, actually. <laughs> I am delighted to share that in a few weeks, I'll be joining Nova Nordisk to be the international medical vice president for NASH, working with the Copenhagen-based team. So I'm very excited to transition to this new role and hopefully continue to have strong collaborations with my friends in academia. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, congratulations. Very, very exciting. Thanks. Zobar Yunasi. So, so let me go back and, and address quality of life. In, in, primarily what we call patient-reported outcomes has been something that's been ignored in liver disease until recently, and I think it's become much more important. I was actually giving another seminar, not related to EASL, a global seminar on an important PRO, which has to be to do with fatigue in patients with non-alcoholic liver disease. So what's actually interesting is that when you look at fatigue, it has impact on patients' quality of life. So patients with 
with fatty liver disease who are fatigued they have terrible quality of life because it's a driver of quality of life impairment. It has important clinical impact, meaning that we publish two papers now. One is in completely published and the other one is actually in peer review that patients with fatty liver disease who are fatigued have increased liver events, complications. So it's a predictor and that's independent of everything else. In a second study that used in Haynes data set, we are showing that patients with fatty liver disease who are fatigued have higher mortality. That's not new in other diseases. So in other diseases, individuals who are fatigued have actually poor outcomes. So that's actually PRO outcome affected by fatigue. Second, fatigue impacts clinical outcome. And third, fatigue is a driver of unemployment and also a driver of work productivity impairment, meaning that when you're at work, either you don't show up to work or you have presenteeism, meaning you're at work and you're not functioning. So there is an immense indirect economic burden related to fatigue, which is a PRO in patients with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So inclusion of patient reported outcome in studies of NAFLD is going to be critical because it is actually an important component, and especially in clinical trials of NASH, it would be absolutely important to include it. Zobar, let me ask you a question. From back in my pharmaceutical marketing research days, it was very hard to get anybody to pay for or value a PRO around fatigue or that kind of thing, in part because insurers didn't accept that presenteeism really mattered. They didn't know how to really do the math on it, and insurer, employers were pushing them for lower cost, not for more complete service. And people were having a hard time getting all, but the most enlightened employers understood the concept and pushed it, but most didn't. A, is that the lay of the land now, or has it gotten better, or is it worse even than I said? And how do you think we make progress in getting the people who will benefit from that economic gain to accept the idea that we're actually doing something good for them by doing it? Well, there are two things. One is that it depends on who's the payer. If it's a governmental payer in some part of the world, they better pay attention because that's going to come out of their pocket. In the United States, of course, that's not a case because it's a it's a very heterogeneous system, and payers certainly not going to pay for these softer endpoints. However, it's more important from a societal perspective to capture the comprehensive burden of this disease. So, when you're talking about comprehensive burden of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, it's the clinical outcome. We are all very familiar with this mortality and all of that, and that's becoming clear. It's going to be the PRO outcome, which is more important from a patient perspective, from an individual patient's perspective, and then the economic impact. So for me, it's really generating evidence that this disease has impact on multiple different types of outcome, and patient-reported outcome is one of them. So it will then then convince the policymakers to actually, remember the Healthy People 2020, at least that version of it, one of the components of that whole you know policy agenda for the United States was to improve patients' quality or individuals' quality of life. In the United States, once you convince the policymakers that this is this is this is an important part of this disease, then potentially they can actually make that an important aspect of the policy. And policymakers will drive payers in the United States. So my goal is that the, the use of PRO is really for two things: one, to capture the comprehensive burden of disease of NAFLD. Second, in clinical trial of new drugs, you want to use PROs for two different reasons. One, if there 
there is an efficacy, like in hepatitis C disease, if virus went away, PRO's quality of life improved. Clear data there. So you want to show if there is efficacy not only in the primary endpoint of NASH, fibrosis improving or NASH resolving. And second is that the side effect profile that you have is not going to impact patient's quality of life. Now, patients may have some side effect from the drug, but it may not have an impact on their quality of life. That's a very different sort of scenario when you have a drug that has side effects and has a profound impact on quality of life. So there are multiple reasons to include patient perspective, which is true PROs. At this point, I would say that if I have two drugs, both approved, the cost of one may be slightly more than the other, but the, the drug that ha- that is slightly costly has improvement of, of PROs and the other one caused worsening of PROs, then I know as a physician which one I would actually recommend. Okay. So, Louise, you live on the other side of the pond, different economics, different system. How does all that work over here in your mind? Louise Campbell. I don't think it's that much different. What we've seen recently in, I think it was the User Lancet report last year, was that working life, liver, poor liver health and liver damage and liver disease is now the second leading cause of working life lost in Europe. And it leads to Donna Cryer's message with GLI of liver health is actually public health. How many industries could we go into using PROs that we've got from an AFLD population to streamline questions and get out of their populations who may have poor liver health? Because ideally, they would similarly score on the same metrics. There was a, a PRO presentation today that showed quality of life was severely affected just on liver fat, not even stiffness related. And yet we talk about targeting drugs that only address F3, F4, yet the quality of life is a is a significant factor. But the question that was posed, which they couldn't answer at the time, was once you tell somebody a diagnosis, you automatically affect the quality of life. And there's been several hepatitis C studies where they diet, ask them to fill in the questionnaire before they told them the diagnosis against after and the the difference that that shows. So once we get anybody into a medical pathway, on the whole, quality of life deteriorates. It's just a given. So is it going to be harder to tweeze it out in the working environment? I don't know, but I really would like some major companies to have a look at quality of life within their staffing or even look at liver health as a potential cause of their per metrics. Industries that I would think of straight off would be construction, truck drivers, mining, where we've seen a rapid increase in hypertension, cardiovascular and type 2 diabetes in those industries for poor quality of diet. They get access to poor foods or subsidized foods in mining, fly in, fly out. If I think to Australia, for example, or oil rigs in in a UK setting. There's really lots of things that severe hits on the, a nail on the head there is that poor quality of life is a major factor for all of these patients. And if we can turn that around, that goes back into society in a positive way, a cost-effective way. So I would certainly agree with the premise that a slightly more expensive drug that turns around quality of life better would be something that I'd advocate for. I think patients would take that. Whether NICE who work on costings would support that sort of argument. I think we have to look beyond a costs 
and a direct cost for a direct disease. We ha- we do have to take in the whole patient. And I think part of that whole measurement is how the patient feels, functions and survives. Well, that's all quality of life, not necessarily a fibrosis marker. That's coming out more and more in the posters, the abstracts, the oral presentations really well, because we've had two years to really start to look at that because it's been the data we've been able to collect. I've been in this field of PROs for 30 years, and I hear this thing about diagnosis impacting negatively patients' quality of life. Well, that's true for congestive heart failure. That's true for COPD. That's true for any disease, chronic disease. You make the diagnosis, maybe patients are going to have an impairment of quality of life just because of quote-unquote stigma of having a chronic disease. That's not really the main driver, in my view, of poor quality of life. And and it is clear to me that that in patients with fatty liver disease, the most important and underestimated and under uh, sort of uh, appreciated symptom is fatigue that drives a lot of PRO impairment. So I I think it's going to be important. One last aspect of PRO that's important, that's the utility assessment, which is basically needed to do. This is where payers are going to have to be interested because without quality of life assessment, you're not going to have any Q5D, which is a utility score, to do your cost-effective analysis to get qualities, which is quality just life years that you need to actually have to see if this is actually cost-effective, a drug or intervention from a societal perspective. So there are multiple reasons to do it. And I'm very encouraged that most phase threes now, uh, except for a few, are including PROs as an important endpoint. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the contents of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with our final ILC 22 wrap-up, Scott Friedman and Neil Henderson discussing some of the basic science issues from the meeting. Please join us for all that. Until then, stay safe and surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.